Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. America is seeing a new surge of COVID-19 cases, especially in areas where vaccination rates are low. Which do you think is more dangerous, the virus or the vaccine? Wow, that's a good question. Is it? I know of young people now that are having chronic fatigue and they're describing brain fog and they're describing movement issues and not being able to feel their hands or their feet or not smell their food anymore for months and even years. There's no doubt the vaccine works, the vaccine's safe, the vaccine's effective, and this virus isn't. This week on 880 In-Depth, the race between the Delta variant and getting more Americans vaccinated, and what some governments are doing to close that gap. We don't have a right to harm other people. Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Tim Scheldt. The message from public health officials everywhere is clear. Unvaccinated individuals should get vaccinated and continue masking until they are fully vaccinated. Faced with rising positivity rates across the map, communities like New York City are taking proactive measures. On September 13th, the entire city workforce will be mandated under the covid safety mandate to either get vaccinated, which is far preferable, or get tested once a week. Recognizing that vaccines alone will not make COVID go away, the CDC reversed course this week and is now saying that vaccinated people should go back to wearing masks indoors in certain areas of the country because of concerns over the Delta variant. How could we have gotten so close to beating or managing the pandemic only to be pulled back in? We spoke to two health experts in our area this week for an in-depth view of vaccines, vaccine hesitancy, the Delta variant, breakthrough cases and more. Coming up, we hear from one of New York's most prominent voices in public health, Dr. Celine Gounder, an infectious disease specialist and epidemiologist who served on the Biden-Harris transition advisory team. But first, our Peter Haskell stopped by to visit Dr. Theodore Strange. He's the chairman of medicine at Staten Island University Hospital. Staten Island in Richmond County has always been one of New York's COVID hotspots. 
We have seen over the last few weeks a mild rise. We were down uh, as low as about 10 patients at any at our lowest point during this phase. Uh, last summer, we were down in the 4-5 number. And over the last few weeks, we've seen it go up to 20 again, today being around 17, 18 patients in the hospital. So on average, we're discharging two to three people a day, and we're admitting two to three people a day. What can you tell us about these patients, be it their age, be it their vaccination status? The overwhelming majority are unvaccinated. We've had a few who are vaccinated, but those are few. Uh, and usually those are patients who have many other medical conditions. Um, but the vast majority of these patients have not been vaccinated. Uh, they are younger. Uh, I say younger because previously the average age of the patient admitted to Stanton University Hospital, and especially in the first phase, was 65 and older. The, the numbers now look and appear to be probably in the high 50s, low 60s if I take an average. But I can tell you this week, we admitted a 23-year-old. We admitted a number of people in their 30s and a number of people in their 40s. Still having some people in their 50s and 60s too, but we were not seeing the 20s and 30s being admitted months back and a year ago. Why do you think that is? So we know that this Delta variant is a more infectious variant, more transmissible, meaning spreading into the community. And it seems to be some somewhat more uh, with more characteristics of disease that affect the lung. Fortunately enough, let me say that with a lot of um, uh, prayer and a, and a lot of hope, we're not seeing the mortality uh, of that disease. So these patients are being discharged. But we are seeing patients who are, be, who ha, who are younger who have been discharged. We're having side effects months and months down the road, uh, whether it's neurological side effects or side effects of their blood clotting prematurely or just as some of them are describing brain fog, chronic fatigue, things that are just nonspecific, but are affecting their lives. So they're living, and that's great. We've, we've, we've learned a lot about the disease to keep them alive, but there are side effects to this disease long term. When you talk about younger people, what, what's your suspicion or what do you know about their behavior? And is it different than it was six months ago or 12 months ago? So unfortunately, the mask became a political uh, tool, and the mask is not a political tool. We know that well in, in medicine for many years because we've been wearing masks in people's rooms that have infectious diseases for a long time, and we know it stops the, and spreads, stops the spread and prevention. We know last year there was no flu season here. That wasn't by coincidence, and it wasn't because the COVID killed the flu. It's because we were smart as people, wearing masks, socially distancing, washing our hands better. We were clearly following uh, much better prevention control techniques. In Australia right now, where they're going through their second winter season post-COVID, they again are seeing a very diminished flu season, partly because of mask wearing. So I think our younger people on the island have a less of an affinity with the masks, and I get it. You want to be open and free. Uh, they are more apt to be in environments like local bars and supermarkets and other places where, the, where, where they congregate together um, um, and therefore you can spread this easily. And I think there's a lot of uh, play and misplay on the Internet, and they're the ones that tend to be on the social media and get misinformed about what this virus is and isn't, what this vaccine is and isn't. 
We did want to hear from Dr. Strange about just what these unvaccinated patients are saying about why they've chosen to sit out so far. It's a varied um, lot that we see. Some of it's political still. You know, uh, I, I don't I don't believe this president. Right. Um, some of it is the Internet said, quote, um, but it wasn't from an Internet with a source that was reputable. Um, nobody's talking about the Mayo Clinic or the Cleveland Clinic or Northwell University Hospital and what we pull out, put out there. Uh, some of it is my mother said so. Uh, the rest of my family doesn't believe. The government isn't going to tell me what to do. And then there's that far-off stuff about the Bill Gates microchip in your neck as they carry around their cell phones and don't know they're being followed. So it's varied. Some of it's needle phobia. Some of it is this anti-vaccine concept that some people have. What do you tell them? Um, I'm not a person that says, I told you so. That's just not what we need to be. I ask them, you know, now that you got it, and if anybody else of your friends and family hasn't got it, can you please be an advocate for us and show them how sick you are? Uh, I have a real case in point right now that that's really happened. Uh, We we tell them uh, we're going to get them through this. We have a lot of optimism and hope. And hopefully three months from now we're going to get you the vaccine because I need that vaccine in because that prevents the Delta variant from reemerging itself. So we want, even though you've had the virus and the disease, we want you vaccinated post-vaccine because there seems to be a better response with the vaccinated person. So as a good physician, as a good uh, hospital, as good nursing staff, I told you so doesn't do anything. Uh, we want spokespeople out there. I don't want, hopefully don't want to use a sick person as the spokesperson, but if that's what we need to do, we're going to try to do it in the best way we can without exploiting anybody. But we need to get this message out there any way we can. Patients that you have who aren't sick, who come to you for something else, and you say, have you been vaccinated? They say no. Two things. One, is that conversation any different? And two, are you converting people? So it's a real conversation that happens every single day, younger and older. I today, for example, saw somebody over 70 who didn't get vaccinated. Somebody called me on the phone today, 92, and asked, is now the time for her to get vaccinated? And, of course, the younger people. Two different um, um, scenarios or three different scenarios, but all of this with the same end. You're helping yourself. You're helping your neighbor. You're helping your grandparents at home, especially in the younger people. There will be a group of anti-vaxxers out there for whatever their reasons are, which I still to this day don't understand, but I can tell you my own Catholic church, we still have this group of people still thinking it's from an aborted fetus in 1971. That's been clearly debunked by the Pope, by the bishops, by Catholic organizations. That has nothing to do with this. This is a recombinant, man-made vaccine in a laboratory that stimulates your body's messenger system to create the antibody response, having nothing to do with however, whatever they're thinking about with aborted fetuses. It's not. So this is safe. We know it's effective. It's free. I mean, what more do we need to convince people that this is what we need to do to get back to a normalcy that we once recognized and knew in in the United States and here on Staten Island? You talk about this conversation with these patients. Are you converting people? Yeah, we are. And it's a one-on-one situation. I think I may have converted one or two people today. Um, And so one or two people may affect 30, 40 people in the lives that they live. 
we've tried it in the big ways in these pods and in these um, and in, in these programs and in churches and in auditoriums and there's nothing wrong with that and we should continue to do it. But we need to get out there, whether it's on a park bench like some of us are doing here at the hospital or it's in a bowling alley like we did last Friday night or it's in every single physician physician's office on that one-on-one. You convince one, you may have saved 10 or 20 people. If I convince 100, that's wonderful. But we need to do this in every single way we can with every opportunity we can take advantage of. Is it just about debunking all of these myths? No, I think there's more than just the debunking. I think there is uh, real concern, especially in your younger women of childbearing years, who are concerned about uh, you know having children or what it may do to their DNA. And again, I, I don't want to say that's a myth, but there were some real concerns there, but I think that's now been proven over time. I think that um, there's fear. Fear in medicine is always an issue. We deal with that every day. We have the white coat syndromes for patients who even have high blood pressure, right? There's needle phobia. People truly do. I've seen people pass out from a needle. Uh, So I think there are multiple reasons, and the one reason I can never understand is political. This is not a political virus. Um, You know, you could say Fauci was right, Fauci was wrong. Fauci was just learning on the job, like all the rest of us were. And I'm not making a case for him or against him, but he's as smart as any any of us have been, and I don't think he's trying to do anything that has tried to dis go down a wrong avenue. He's just trying to come up with the right answer, which every day may change. Over the last 16 months, we have learned something new every day about this virus, about this disease. And what we did 16 months ago when a patient hits this emergency room is very different from what we're doing today. We're treating the patient differently because we know a lot more. We're keeping them off ventilators. We're giving them steroids. We're doing other things. We're proning them in bed. We're getting them moving. We didn't know that 16 months ago. I do know that this mask, I know we're on the radio, but I'm pulling it in my hand, works. Let's not make that mask political. Do I want to wear a mask every time I walk in a restaurant? I don't. But if it's, if it's going to make the safety of school children better, especially for their teachers and their co-workers, uh, the environmental people, and we're not out of this uh, pandemic yet, then you know what, then that's what we have to do until we get done, because we need to keep everybody safe. And in a surprise to almost no one, the CDC weighed in this week on mask use once again. In areas with substantial and high transmission, CDC recommends fully vaccinated people wear masks in public indoor settings to help prevent the spread of the Delta variant and protect others. This includes schools. Dr. Rochelle Walensky, the head of the CDC. This move comes as the Delta variant of COVID-19 is making up over 80% of the sampled or sequenced cases nationally. And with the Delta variant being so much more contagious, there is growing concern about dropping our guard against the pandemic too soon. We took up that question with well-known infectious disease specialist and epidemiologist Dr. Celine Gounder. What the average person should do in the face of the Delta variant is if they have not yet gotten vaccinated, this is the time to get vaccinated. Uh, we, we really um, know that the vaccines are safe and effective. They do offer protection against severe disease, hospitalization and death, which is, after all, why we vaccinate. We don't vaccinate against the common cold. We vaccinate against deadly infectious disease threats. Uh, And so if you have not gotten vaccinated, this is the time to do so. Um, The vaccine supply remains um, quite good in the United States. 
um, and we know this will make a difference. The other thing to consider, though, whether or not you are vaccinated is whether to layer additional protections, uh, protections like wearing a mask when you're indoors, especially around people uh, who are not in your household bubble, who may or may not be vaccinated. Many of us um, who are experts in the field are, if we were not already doing so, have um, have started to wear masks again uh, indoors. Um, and then there are other things that work really well too. So um, improving ventilation in indoor spaces, and this does not have to require uh, buying a fancy or expensive HEPA uh, air filtration unit, just opening windows and creating a cross current in an indoor space can have a tremendous impact and sometimes actually better uh, impact on ventilation in, in an indoor space. So that's an easy and cheap thing people can do. Uh, and then finally, uh, socializing outdoors as much as is possible, uh, because when you're outdoors, uh, unless you're really packed in close together, as might be the case um, at maybe an outdoor sporting venue or in an outdoor concert, when you're outdoors, there's essentially infinite dilution of any virus that might be in the air. And so you're very well protected against transmission in that environment. Dr. Celine Gounder is also host of the popular podcast Epidemic. It takes a look at the science, the public health, and social impact of COVID-19. She spoke to our Peter Haskell this week, and we asked about her own mask habits. Personally, indoors, I have never stopped masking when I'm outside of um, my household bubble or immediate family who I know have been vaccinated. And that's because I have known, I've been following very closely what the community transmission rates are. And I think this is something that's um, sort of lost on people is vaccines are not on or off switches. Uh, it's not like you're immune or you're not immune. It's a percent reduction in risk. So it's a probability reduction. So that doesn't mean your risk goes to zero once you get vaccinated. And so if you reduce your risk, say, by 95%, well, if the baseline risk, and I'm just going to throw out some number, numbers here to illustrate, if your baseline risk is a million, you reduce that down to 50,000. But if your baseline risk is 100, you bring that down to five. And both represent 95% risk reduction. But obviously, 50,000 and five are not equivalent levels of risk. So this is all about understanding percentages, probabilities, um, and it's never been completely safe to go without a mask uh, in mixed company, so to speak, uh, of people who are vaccinated and not vaccinated. There's just too much transmission in the community. So it sounds like you're saying it's a good idea to wear a mask if you go to a store, a theater, a concert, a wedding, almost anything inside. And if you can also differentiate how you would look at outdoor events. Sure. So, you know, I think if you've been vaccinated, it's important to emphasize that your risk of severe hospitalization and death is very low. The only uh, real cases of what I would call breakthrough disease where people are actually getting sick with COVID despite vaccination is really elderly people in nursing homes. And we have had um, a handful of such cases where people got really sick, very few deaths, uh, in that group. Um, but if you really do want to re reduce your risk, I would say you should be wearing a mask despite being vaccinated, at least until levels of transmission in the community come down. And, and that will take 
uh, getting more people vaccinated. We're just not quite there yet. You touched upon breakthrough cases. How, how should we look at these numbers? We hear about more breakthrough cases. Is that troublesome or as you say, they don't lead to necessarily serious illness? Yeah, it's really important to distinguish between breakthrough cases. Do we mean infections or do we mean disease? And most of the breakthrough cases we're seeing are infections with no symptoms or minimal symptoms. So for that person who has that breakthrough infection, it's probably not much of a concern to them uh, and and doesn't really have an impact. Um, Where we do get more concerned is if that person who had a breakthrough infection despite being vaccinated, if they can transmit onward to others, perhaps they don't even realize they're doing so because they have no symptoms or minimal symptoms, that could be concerning, um, you know, for, let's say, as an example, a grandchild who's been vaccinated, comes home from college for the holidays, wants to see their grandparents. Could it, could they accidentally, unknowingly transmit COVID onto their grandparents and cause real harm? We don't know the answer to that definitively yet, but it certainly is maybe. Up in Van Cortland Park in the Bronx last week, Peter Haskell watched as a local mobile vaccination site saw very little business. And the people he stopped to ask about vaccines gave him some context about what public health officials are up against. Have you gotten a COVID vaccine? No, I haven't. How come? Um, Technically, I'm afraid of it. Which do you think is more dangerous, the virus or the vaccine? Wow, that's a good question. I would say, like, they're probably, like, equally dangerous. I just think I need to see uh, what's the long-term effects before I I decide to take it. I'm 50-50 on it. Why? Because, you know, I'm just, it it came out too fast, you know? I want to wait at least a year. By then, I feel that I'll have more research done on it, see how how people who have taken it, how it has affected them or not, and then, you know, it'll be more, more solid. What's holding you back from getting the vaccine? Um, I don't know. No, I have no reason. I want to guarantee that I will not get this virus after I get the shot. Is there such a thing as a guarantee in life? Nothing. Nothing's guaranteed. So, I, you know, you see where I'm at, man. Where do you get your information about vaccines? Well, everybody gets it now, online. Do you think that's always reliable? 50-50 again. Is there something you could hear that would convince you to get a shot? No, not at this point, no. How do we reach these vaccine-hesitant people? What's the best way to do this? Well, I think first we have to realize that people who have not been vaccinated have many, many different reasons for not yet having been vaccinated. I think um, in communities of color, this remains very much a question of access, access to the vaccines, but also access to good information. And unfortunately, what many of us are seeing is that uh, quality information is not making it to certain communities of color, particularly younger people of color, um, in the same way that it may have reached others. And so that really does require a much more high-touch, person-to-person kind of outreach to penetrate into those communities to get the information out there. Uh, this is not about you know blasting a message on social media or a PSA on television. This is really person-to-person outreach 
Uh, and unfortunately, we simply don't have a workforce that's really designed to do that kind of work. So that's, that's part of the reason this is, has been very difficult to, to make happen. Um, you also have people who, for political reasons, uh, have not wanted to get vaccinated. Unfortunately, as, as we all know, the pandemic, the vaccines have been highly politicized uh, over the last uh, 18, 19 months. Uh, and this has become a major roadblock uh, for people to get vaccinated. Um, in a sense, it's a um, question of allegiance to your social group. Um, fortunately, uh, many uh, Republican leaders are now coming out, stepping up, encouraging uh, the, their constituents to get vaccinated. We've seen this by Scalise. We've seen uh, Governor DeSantis. Uh, Mitch McConnell, for example, and, and even folks at Fox News are now encouraging their uh, viewers to get vaccinated. But I really think that kind of messaging needs to come um, from people like that who they trust and identify with. How do you counter the, the tsunami of misinformation? Well, I think you have to focus on, one, providing good information. I think, two, um, with the bad actors who are out there and um, the Center for Countering Digital Hate, for example, has documented that there are 12 people on Facebook who are responsible for 65% of the disinformation on that platform. Uh, the leading dis disinformationist out of that dozen is um, an osteopathic doctor by the name of Joseph Merkula, who essentially runs a business of being an anti-vaxxer. He will uh, put out information that vaccines are, you know, problematic in his opinion, uh, and then will offer his snake oils that he sells as a remedy for the situation. And he, he is worth over a hundred million dollars. So it's clearly a very successful business model, uh, but it's also highly unethical and it's just wrong. And it's in the power of entities like Facebook and the other social media platforms to take away the platforms that these disinformationists are using uh, to really um, make people feel like the vaccines may not be safe and effective. And what about vaccine mandates that we're seeing this week in New York City and other places? What does Dr. Celine Gounder think of that? Well, I think what New York City Health and Hospitals, as well as uh, the city more broadly, uh, has now announced is this um, mandate that people either get vaccinated or have weekly COVID testing. I think that's a very good balance uh, between, uh, in the case of healthcare settings, patient health and safety, um, also public health and individual rights. Uh, we do not have a right to harm others, especially as healthcare workers in the healthcare context, we don't have a right to harm our patients. And if I walk into the hospital and I have COVID and I infect a elderly, immunosuppressed, otherwise vulnerable patient, I am harming that patient. So I think the healthcare facility case is by far the, the most straightforward scenario. But also from a public health perspective, we don't have a right to harm other people. Um, and when you give people the option, uh, either you have to get vaccinated or you need to be tested, you are offering them choice as to how they want to comply with what's needed in terms of public safety. There's talk of, of a possible extra shot or a booster shot for certain people. What do you think of that, and when might we find out about that? I think the case 
for additional doses of vaccine um, is most clear for people who are highly immunosuppressed. So these are people who perhaps have had an organ transplant, solid organ transplant, like a heart or lung or kidney transplant, or people who have uh, severe autoimmune diseases or cancers where they need to be on very highly immunosuppressive drugs. Also, some people who have blood cancers um, can also be immunosuppressed, as well as people with advanced uh, HIV AIDS. For those people, there does seem to be enough data um, to recommend giving an additional dose of vaccine even now. Um, And so that would mean a third dose of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine or another dose of vaccine after that single dose of Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So that I think we have um, very good data supporting the need for an additional dose for those highly immunosuppressed persons. Uh, the next group that we are debating is what about people who got a single dose of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, particularly with the rise of the Delta variant, should we consider giving those folks an additional dose? And I think it's really important to say part of the reason um, the, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine was initially authorized as a single dose vaccine is because it performed so well as a single dose vaccine. You can't get away with one dose of Pfizer or Moderna. Um, and so it really is a very good vaccine. The real question is, how should we be dosing it? And there are very few vaccines. In fact, only one vaccine uh, of all the vaccines that we use that is a single dose vaccine, and that's the yellow fever vaccine. Most vaccines we give are two, three, four, even five dose vaccines. Many of us don't remember because those are given in childhood, early childhood, but you know, normally you need to give multiple doses of a vaccine for that to work well and and to be durable over time. Just looking ahead to fall and winter, what do you see and what kind of concerns do you have? Well, I I do have concerns about um, how return to school is going to be handled, and, and we're not entirely sure what the Delta variant means for transmission in schools. And so, um, you know, I do think we still need to be very careful in the school setting, especially since many kids uh, will not yet be eligible for vaccination. Um, You know, I I do think we need to continue masking, optimizing indoor ventilation uh, and the like in in the school setting. Um, And I, I remain very concerned about Americans who are not yet vaccinated, whatever the reason may be. Uh, We know that cough, cold, flu season um, gets worse in the fall, especially through the winter holidays. We saw that, in fact, last year with COVID. Um, And so, uh, you know, I I am a bit nervous about um, what is to come if we don't get those vaccination rates up. Doctor, is there anything else that you want to add? No, I thought that was uh, really um, thorough. And one final thought from Dr. Theodore Strange. He's chairman of medicine at Staten Island University Hospital. Let me say to you, I don't see us heading in the direction we were in early 2020, April, May of that year. I don't see that. Although Jacksonville didn't see that then, but they're seeing that now. And and Springfield didn't see that then, and they're seeing that now where ICU beds were filled. I think we have some therapeutics now with uh, the Regeneron products that are out there, the antibody products. I think we have some therapeutics with steroids. I think we understand how to use oxygen better. Um, And I think that we're immunizing much more than we ever did before. That I really do hope and I do think 
that we won't get back to that amount of people in a hospital setting. But I do think we could affect people who uh, would be more vulnerable again, and some of them being younger than they were then, who may succumb to this disease if we're not smart enough about it again. So one person is one person too many. Um, and if you think the vaccine is dangerous, there's some side effects. I'm not going to deny that at all. But there weren't 600,000 side effects in the United States of that vaccine. There were not 600,000 people killed because of vaccine. There were 600,000 people killed because of the virus. Every single Tylenol somebody takes every day has the potential to, to harm. This vaccine, we know the side effects. We now know how to treat the side effects of myocarditis and blood clotting and the fatigue. They go away. Nobody's dying of the vaccine. And we know that people are having babies and having great babies with the vaccine. And people are getting pregnant on the vaccine. Um, but I know of young people now that are having chronic fatigue and they're describing brain fog and they're describing movement issues and not being able to feel their hands or their feet or not smell their food anymore for months and even years. There's no doubt the vaccine works, the vaccine's safe, the vaccine's effective, and this virus isn't. Let's get it taken care of. Doc, we've covered a lot of territory. Is there anything else that you want to add? Well, I want to thank you, Peter. Um, I think uh, one of our issues with all of this has been, I'm going to use the word bad press or fake press or I think, what did you call it before? Uh, misinformation. misinformation. Thank you. Um, you and your colleagues that do the right thing by getting the right information out there, not the misinformation. Again, if you're saving one life, you've saved a thousand too. So I thank you for getting to us to help disseminate that information. I thank you for, for getting out the right information. And let's just keep doing this as a team and a partnership together because that's how we will eventually beat this. Freedom isn't free, as we always say. And this is one of those freedoms that we have to get our hands around. And it's not free, although the vaccine is free. So what better, what better way to do it than that? We have free vaccine. Dr. Strange, thank you so much. Thank you, Peter. Thank you to Dr. Theodore Strange from Staten Island University Hospital. And thanks to Dr. Celine Gounder. Look for her podcast, Epidemic, wherever you get your audio. 880 In-Depth is a production of WCBS News Radio 880. Peter Haskell and myself are the executive producers. For on-demand listening to our podcast, look for 880 In-Depth wherever you get your audio and look for us under the podcast tab of WCBS880.com. Thank you for listening. Get vaccinated, please. And please be safe. in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 